Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. All right, all right. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good, good. It was, uh, man, worship was just so sweet. I just, I, I, I think I speak for my wife when I just say thank you for bringing your worship uh, to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who, who deserves it all. And so thanks for, for that. It was just really sweet. Um, today, we launch into this new series. It's our Christmas series. It's called Takes a Village. You saw that kind of video of like this old school video of all everyone, like all the guys kind of coming out of their houses and helping one another to get this, this car that's stuck in a, in a snowbank out, out of the, and, and it's like almost it turns into, a, I don't know, an afternoon affair. Let's dig out the car and then, I don't know, have fun outside with all, all the neighbors. Uh, but I'm going to tell you this outright, that during this series, I'm probably going to get kind of nostalgic, okay? And so just bear with me and come along for the ride, if you will. I, what I'm going to be doing is, I, I don't know, I just really felt like, um, like the, the Lord was impressing on my heart um, a couple months ago what I think he's calling the church to. And it's honestly, it's, it's back to a form of community that existed maybe like in the 50s. It, it, it's this, um, you know, that phrase, it takes a village. It's kind of an older phrase. It's this idea that it takes everyone to chip in, to kind of help raise us, to help us get where we need to go in life. And, um, and, and I'm not going to lie, I feel like I'm going to be pushing us maybe back in time a little bit. <laughs> maybe to like the 1950s or something like that. Back when. And some of you are like, sweet, I was born in the 50s. <laughs> and, uh, but this is, I, I really feel like post-COVID, there's some things in culture in terms of how we do relationships that are honestly broken. That we need to push, we need to intentionally push back and intentionally work our way back to, not, not 1950s just, but what I would almost say is 33 AD. Acts chapter 2, the relationships, the village mentality that existed in the early church that I think still needs to exist today. And it's not entirely gone, but sometimes what happens during Christmas time, maybe you start doing this, you start thinking about remember when moments, like maybe you think back to Christmas at grandma or grandpa's house, Christmas at your aunt or, or uncle's house, Christmas back when, you start thinking about kind of the back when moments or remember when moments. Like I remember one, one of the things when I was five years old, four or five years old, uh, I remember walking the neighborhood Often, and I would often hang outside and walk the neighborhood with Stanley. Stanley was this old guy who lived in our neighborhood. I don't know if he even had a wife. I never saw uh, her. I just saw Stanley, and uh, Stanley was always out, and, and kids would always flock to Stanley because Stanley always had candy. He always did. He always had little caramels. And so I remember it, it wasn't weird, though, for a little four-year-old kid to walk the neighborhood with this older guy. Now, today, if you were to say, hey, there's an old guy who walks the roads alone and hands out candy to kids, you'd call him a creeper, right? But, 
But back then, it was kind of like, back then, that was totally normal. And it was like, oh, that's Stanley, and he's sweet. And, and, uh, and I remember growing up in, in the Chicagoland area and in my suburbs where we were, I knew every house within probably two to three houses in every direction, back and front. Uh, they might have had fences, but fences didn't count. You jumped them anyhow. You played in everyone's yard. You know, you just like, you went everywhere. I mowed their yards. They mowed ours. We all worked together. We burnt leaves outside. Remember that back in the day? You know? And it's like all these things are just like kind of the remember when, you, kind of fond memories. But I want to argue that while it seems like some of that is gone, I don't think it is. I think it's still around. Like, I remember just a couple years ago, one of my neighbors, he was telling me about how he was in his house one day, and, uh, and he glances over, it was a couple from our church, but he glances on over, and uh, he thought he saw a little boy in their kitchen. And then, so he glanced back quickly, and he was gone. And he looked to his wife, he's like, did you just see a little boy there? And she's like, no, you're going crazy. <laughs> and, and then he looks back, and sure enough, there's a little boy there. He goes, right there, that boy. There's a boy there. And uh, that little boy was my son, who had just decided to wander in because he was thirsty. And that was the closest house. And that was like, I mean, but I love that you, I don't know, maybe you can't do that these days. But he did. It was kind of like, I'm thirsty, I'm going into whatever the closest house is, and I'm going to ask for water, because that's what we do. And I love that I've had neighbors who will come on over and they'll knock on my door and be like, this happened a handful of years ago. And they're like, hey, just want to let you know there are three boys on your roof right now. Thank you for being a good neighbor and telling me where my children are because I am a very, you know, attentive parent right now. No idea my children are crawling around on my roof right now. Or, or I remember years ago when uh, I couldn't find Brooks. Brooks, uh, he was young and he's really, he was in the, probably in the neighborhood park or something like that. And we're calling him and he's not coming home. So I'm like, all right. I, I start walking the neighborhood and I'm looking around and I see a birthday party in someone's backyard. And sure enough, there's Brooks bouncing in the bounce house. And I go walking up to the neighbors. I'm like, I'm so sorry, you know, in the middle of his birthday. And they're like, are, are you kidding it's great that he's here. He's had cake. He's part, I mean, it's like participating in the whole thing, you know? You're like, oh, man. And, oh, but there's, so there's moments like that, but then there's also uh, these, these realities of like my, my neighbors who are a couple houses down from us, an older couple, older um, individual who, they, they moved recently, but for, almost every, for years, almost every other month, they'd come knocking on our door. They'd say, mom has fallen and we need help picking her up. Or we need to move some furniture. Could you help us out? Or we need help with this thing. Could you come and help us out? And, and they just kind of know, well, at, our, at the Amstutz house, there's always someone around to help. And uh, there's enough kids. There's enough people. And, and, and I love that, though. I love that they could just kind of come on over and you know that there's always someone there. Because I think there's something to this dynamic of it takes a village that is still for us today. And what I want to do is I want to look actually at the themes of Advent. Advent's not a new idea. A lot of times you have the Advent candles and they represent different things, peace and hope and joy and love and things like that. I want to look at those themes, but I want to look at it through the lens of community or through the lens of a village. Because actually throughout scripture, we see not just God talk about hope, for example, or God talk about peace or God talk about joy, but we actually see throughout scripture what happens when a community actually engages around that idea? 
around that, that theme, if you will. That there's something unique and biblical and good and right when actually a village, when we, when we become a village of hope, if you will. And so today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be diving into just a, a short passage of scripture, like three or four verses total. And, um, and I want to just look at uh, how a village, if you will, or a community, a group of people engage around the idea if we're carriers of hope. The psalm we're going to be looking at, Psalm chapter 33, um, I know it's around a whole community because verse 12 says this, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. It's talking about this whole nation. It's talking about a massive community, an entire group of people. And so we're going to pick this thing up in verse 18, Psalm chapter 33, verse 18. And it says this, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope, because we're talking about hope today, is in his unfailing love. Now, I know this once again, it's about a community, not just about how individuals engage with God and can find hope in him, but uh, it's around a community because it's around those who fear him and those who's, that might be me, I don't know, whose hope. over. Oh, it is me. Is it me? Yep. All right. Let me just try to mess with me. It is better. Trust me. I, I fixed it. Super techie. All right. All right. The eyes are on those. He's talking about a community. It's those. It's not just an individual. It's a group of people. Those whose hope and then he's going to even say it incredibly bluntly, just a couple verses from now in verse 20, it's going to be this once again, a community, we wait in hope. It's a we, we wait in hope, for he is our help, he is our shield, in him, uh, in him our hearts rejoice. Are you hearing the our, us, we, it's all of, it's this community, it's the village that is finding hope in him. And I want to argue that there's an aspect that's incredibly important of community, of the village. And here's why it's important. Because some days it's just really hard to remind yourself or to tell yourself the things that you know are true that you've lost sight of. Or, or they're kind of in the distance, but you, you know they're true, but you need someone else to say it to you. Like I, I, I say it's often important that um, I preach over my own heart all the time. I'm the one who has to remind my heart a lot of things and just preach it over my heart, preach it over my mind. But guess what? There are days even in my life where I struggle to be the one to preach to myself. And you want to know who I need on those days? I need my village. I need the village to be the ones who rally. I need those who find hope in the Lord to come alongside me because some days, quite frankly, it's just difficult to preach to yourself. Anyone there ever? And you just need someone else to say the things you know are true and say it with conviction that will stir actually hope within you. And he's going to say in verse, uh, this is 33, verse 18, he's going to say, listen, hope is in. You're going to be able to find hope, kind of share hope, give hope in a handful of different ways as a community in the village, okay? Hope is in some things. So as we speak these things, Hope is found in them. And so where's hope found? Well, hope is in his unfailing love. It's in his unfailing love. 
Here's a statement that we as a village, we need to remind others often. I'm going to give you three statements today that I want to encourage you to speak over someone this week. And it's this, God still loves you. God still loves you. Look at someone nearby you and say, God still loves you. Now, why is it not God, why, why can't we just say God loves you? Like, isn't that a good statement? God loves you? Why, why still? Well, because the qualifier in that verse, okay, stop talking to one another now. These guys are like fifth graders, okay. It's like, follow instructions back with me, okay. God still loves you. Why still? Well, because of the one qualifier in there was that his love was unfailing. It's unfailing, meaning if it's unfailing, it doesn't give up. It's pressing through. It keeps on keeping on. It's still chasing after you. He still loves you. In fact, this is probably the number one statement that I make to people. God still loves you. You want to know why? Because I think it's the number one attack that the enemy makes over people. It's this statement. It sounds like this. God loves everyone, but he can't love you because of what you did. I get it. He loves everyone, but he can't. Like, his, his love, the lie of the enemy is that his love is incapable because you did something to, to literally box it away from you. And you need to speak against that lie that his love is unfailing. It's still chasing after. It's still pressing after. And it's coming after you. He's still loves you. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, maybe as a parent or something like, like that. I, I get kids who sometimes they get frustrated. Um, here's how it happened um, this last week in my life. My, my eight-year-old son, he's in lots of stories. He's provides me ample opportunities to just use him. Thank you, Brooks. Okay, so anyhow, he was, I was trying to get him to bed this week, and um, he's being his typical eight-year-old son. He's distracted, and I'm just saying, hey, get on your jammies, brush your teeth, let's go. And um, and so I'm, I'm prodding, I'm pushing, I'm encouraging. <laughs> then I'm threatening, you know? And, and it just kind of works its way. And I'm getting frustrated. I'm not mad. I mean, I'm not overly mad. I'm just frustrated. He's not obeying. And now he can hear the frustration in my voice. And all of a sudden, you can probably imagine, all of a sudden it's like something shifts and from him kind of being playful to all of a sudden he feels defeated. Just like, boosh like a light switch he feels defeated and he turns around he walks into his room he slams the door behind him and he goes and he sits on the floor and for a moment here's what i want to argue happens for a moment i think he loses sight of the fact that his dad still loves him i think that whole idea is actually in a it's in a moment of crisis where he's wondering and feels like dad doesn't love him. And so he shuts down. So then I, I walk into his room and I sit down beside him on the floor. I put my arm around him and I just start telling him, I'm like, buddy, I, I'm not mad at you. I'm frustrated because we're trying to get ready for bed. I need you to brush your teeth. I need you to get on your jammies. It's late. We're all getting tired. And I love you. And here's what's amazing. In the middle of this moment of me just sitting there and wrapping my arms around him, he's still like just kind of holding himself away from me. And then all of a sudden, just like that light switch that went off, all of a sudden it goes back on. His frown turns upside down. All of a sudden he smiles and he literally lunges into me and gives me a hug. Now what happened? I think all of a sudden he accepted dad still loves him. 
And when he gets that and he embraces it, it's like hope is there. He's like, it's okay, I'm making it. And all of a sudden he goes and he brushes his teeth and he's all happy and everything's good. But, but it's like he just has to embrace it. The dad still loves him. And I'm telling you, there are some of you who right now, you're just like you're, you're alone in a corner and you're just holding dad's love off to the side like this, like it can't be for me. And I'm telling you, his arms are around you. He's speaking loving things over you. And in many ways, what you need to do is just embrace the fact that he still loves you. And as soon as you kind of go, I believe that for me, hope will come rushing in. It'll just, everything will shift in a moment when you embrace it. And some of you, I just want to stare you right, like, go nose to nose, eyes to eyes with you, and just say, God still loves you. And that lie that the enemy's been speaking over you for so long, this lie that says he loves everyone else, but he just can't love you, is so not true. He still loves you. And we as a village, because there's someone in your life this week who needs to hear that. Listen to me. Someone in your life this week needs to hear that. And you in the village need to remind them that. Next thing, check it out in verse 19. So it goes right from one statement. Hope is in his unfailing love. And then this next statement, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. If I could give you a statement, a second statement that I think we all need to make to someone this week, it's, it's this, that God will carry you. God will carry you, and he will carry you through whatever you're going through. The, the person in that verse, they're going through famine. They feel like they're starving to death. They can almost see the end in sight, and yet they just need to be reminded God's going to take you through this time of drought, this time where it feels like everything's falling apart. God's going to carry you through to the other side. I probably have had more moments this year alone when I've had, in all my life, this year that I've had I've experienced this. I've experienced the village come alongside me and my wife and my family and just remind me of this, that God's going to carry you. God's got you. He's going to carry you through this. Just as last week, it was last Sunday, I was standing right down here after service. I was talking with this guy named Mike right after the 9 a.m. service. We're talking about some things that I was facing, a little hurdle in the life or in my life. And he looked at me and he made a statement that I think was more profound than he even realized. But he said, God's got this. God's got you. God's going to carry you through it. And then he said this, so profound. He goes, I can see it more clearly than you can see it. And then he said it again. He goes, I promise you, I can see it more clearly than you could see it. Wow. See, there's something that's so true about that reality, and it's so true often about a village, is that the village that we can often see the truth about who God is and how he's going to carry someone else through better than they can see it. And so we have to speak it over what we know and see clearly what is still foggy to them. Does that make sense? And so we speak it over them. God's got you. And God's going to carry you through this. Remind someone this week, God still loves you. Remind someone, God will carry you through. Third thing, final thing I want to point out here, verse 20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Here would be the third thing that you need to remind someone this week. It's this. God will protect you. 
God will protect you. Notice what it says. He is our help and he is our shield. A shield is something that goes in front of you to protect you, to guard you. And it's like, in many ways, I picture God, God's like the fullback, if you will. This is, that's football illustration, by the way, for some of you. Who, who, who literally runs in front and takes the hits and creates the hole for you to run behind him. That's what he's doing is that he's taking the shots, he's taking the hits for you and running in front of you, protecting you along the way. God's often helping, he's protecting you in this chaos, in the chaos of our crazy world. But what can often happen is we can become overwhelmed by the chaos of the world. We can often keep our eyes more focused, our eyes and our ears more attentive to the chaos. It's kind of like the news. The news is like notoriously negative, right? And unfortunately, we can often see and hear more of the chaos and the craziness of the world and we lose sight of all the good things that God is up to and the ways that God is actually protecting in the midst of the craziness. A couple years ago, I was, um, it might have been this summer, this past summer or this summer before, I don't remember, but um, we were out boating one day and we had been out for a couple hours and we were coming in at the end of the day and uh, we had two tubes behind behind our boat and as we're coming in my kids are just back there and we're going really slow because we're just heading in and so we're going like three miles per hour and I don't know if you've ever been on a boat like you know on a boat and had this happen my kids hold on for dear life when I'm going fast but when I'm going slow they fall off all the time now, I think some of it is they're just falling off, and other times they just push each other off. You know, it's like no one's paying attention. They're like, ha, ha, and it's all of a sudden there's one kid in the water, and then they're all just falling in. And you're like, and I'm just trying to make it into shore. And I'm like, come on, guys, just stay on the stinking tubes. We're almost there. You know, we're like 100 yards away. And there's boats kind of everywhere around us. I remember we were, we were driving in, and uh, there was a wakeboarder who had kind of just gone right in front of us. And, and I'm looking in my mirror, you know, and I see behind me, and a bunch of my kids, they... I don't know if they fell off, they pushed each other off, all of a sudden they're back in the water. And I'm literally, sometimes I get just a little frustrated with them to a point where I'm like, no, I'm just going to leave them. They can swim in, you know? That's kind of how I feel. Or maybe I'll just keep going straight for a while and make them think like, eh, you, you catch up to me, you know? Uh, but, but so I, was, I literally was kept going straight for a little while. I'm like, nah, I should probably go get them. So I turn my wheel, and as I turn my wheel, literally... That uh, wakeboarder who had gone in front of me, all of a sudden I see him, he's, he's in the water like 30 feet right in front of my boat. And as I turn my wheel, I literally, I grabbed my head like this, and I was like, and I, and I literally said, oh, Jesus, thank you, because I know I would have nailed this kid. I was heading straight for him. I didn't see him. I had people in the bow of my boat. I totally wouldn't have seen it. And, and I looked at back at my kids. And I'm like, mm, Jesus probably knocked him in the water. <laughs> and I was so grateful. And, I, and I, I, I literally, I was giving thanks to the Lord for saving me. Because in that moment, you could say, oh, what a great you know, coincidence. Or God's our protector. And how often is he actually saving our tails and we're just kind of going through life and we just don't even see it because of all the chaos that's happening. And I want to argue, I bet he's taken, I don't know, 10 hits for you today. 
Because he's just constantly protecting and guarding. And he's going before us. He's our shield. And you need to remind people, hey, I think God's taking more hits for you than probably you're even aware. He's our protector. And you want to know what? When all of a sudden you realize and you, and you believe that he's taking hits for you, you want to know what that brings me? It brings me hope. Man, he's for me. He's taking shots for me. He's protecting me. I have hope in that. If I could just encourage you in kind of in two ways, it would be this today. First one would be this. You are a part of a village. I know some of you are like, I live in a city. You know what I mean. You're a part of a village. A village in the sense that it's not necessarily even your neighbors. Your village, if you're a student, maybe it's your kids in your class. It's the kids on your sports team. It's uh, the kids in your club. It's, it's the kids that you hang out with. It, it, that's your village. If you're an adult, it's probably the, the people at your workplace. It's, maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it is. Maybe it's the, the people at your gym. Maybe it's the other soccer moms or the other sports moms at whatever sport you're hanging out at. It's it's those people that you rub shoulders with. Guess what? They are in your village. And you might be like, oh, I don't feel like I know them really well. That's okay. They're still in your village. And then here's the second aspect of it, is that you are a voice of hope in that village. You need to pick up the mantle and embrace the reality that as the children of God, we co collectively are to point people to the hope that we have in him. That you might say, well, that's someone else's job. No, it's your job. It's our job. It takes a village, and on the day that you don't feel like it, someone else will speak it over you. And on the day that someone else is hopeless, you speak it over them. You've got to embrace the fact that you are a voice of hope in that village. I want you to assume this week there's someone in your life, someone in your village, that needs to be told that God still loves them. That needs to be told that God's got them. He's going to carry them through this. That needs to be told God is protecting you. I remember 15 years ago, it was Christmas, 15 years ago was probably the first time I understood the power of a village. That it really set in for me personally. We had recently moved to Minnesota. We just moved there a couple months before. I'd taken on a, a role as uh, one of the pastors at a church up there. And uh, we, it was the very first Christmas in all of my years of my life that grandmother's house was not right down the road. That mom and dad's house, aunt and uncles, brothers, sisters, no, no one's house that I was related to was right down the road. There was no running over for the afternoon or running over for the day. There just wasn't. It was the first Christmas that, quite frankly, we were alone. Now, I know some of you are like, Josh, your size family, you're never alone. <laughs> I know. There was Lisa and I, we had five kids, but it was still the first time that for us, it felt very alone. I remember Christmas morning kind of waking up because I couldn't leave because of my job and my responsibilities and feeling like, here we are. This is us. And everything of, of all the years prior, of all my memories growing up and all Christmas and what it represented just seemed, I don't know, to land flat. It felt, I know it's Christmas and it's happy, but it felt hopeless. It felt sad just because we didn't have family there. And it was around 10 in the morning, and all of a sudden the doorbell rang. 
And we had gotten in a small group. Now, we didn't know the people well because we hadn't been there very long, but there was a lady who was in our small group that we didn't know very well who's standing there with a plate of baked goods. Brought them on over on Christmas morning. And as we're sitting there and we're just talking in the foyer and uh, being blessed, honestly, by just her bringing that, she spins around and she goes, what is that that I see? And from down the road, here comes her husband walking in a Santa suit with a big old bag of gifts over his shoulder. And he comes walking into our family room. Ho, ho, ho. And he opens these gifts. I don't even know if my kids remember it to this day, but he had gifts for each of my children. And I remember, I, but I remember it to this day because what it taught me was the power of the village. And all of a sudden, I had hope. It was like, oh, we can do this without my family, which seems really weird to be able to do this without them. But this was actually magical in its own way. This was beautiful in its own way. And in fact, every Christmas after that, you want to know it? We never did Christmas with our family when we were in Minnesota, all those years that we were up there. But we did Christmas, we just did it with our village. And every year we invited over people that we semi-knew or sort of knew, and we would bake pancakes all morning long, and we'd hang out together, and we just did it as a village. And it was honestly one of the sweetest times of my life, doing it that way as opposed to running over to grandma or grandpa's house. But I discovered there's power and there's hope that can come in a village. And I don't know about you, but I would imagine that there's someone in your life, there's a Stanley walking the streets around your neighborhood probably, who walks alone and maybe has no one, who needs to come on over to your house this Christmas. There's, there's a coworker whose family's not nearby. There's a there's someone in your life who perhaps is facing Christmas for the very first time without their loved one. There's somebody who desperately needs to be reminded that hope is here. And if I could just kind of, I don't know, call us back to the 1950s or maybe 30 AD in the early church. I'm calling our church to what I think is biblical community where we actually, I don't know, go over to someone's house, where you invite them into your space, people who you may know or you may not even know very well to bring hope to them. My wife said after the first service, she said, you need to tell some people, some of you need to dress up as Santa this year <laughs> and go walk down the road and give gifts to somebody. She's probably right. Who, who is it in your life who is it, is it this week that you need to be the voice of hope in their life? Why don't you stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Actually, I just want to read this verse over you as a final prayer. These verses, uh, Psalm 33, verse 18. Bow, bow your heads with me. Let me just declare this over you. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.